Hello. 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 And welcome back to This Is Not A History Lecture. Lecture. We'll get that jingle at some point. Some point. <laughs> yeah. I think it should just be our beautiful voices. I should get my sister to write something. She has a degree in music. Yeah, you should probably do that. I, dr- I straight up dropped it to my family again. Uh, speaking twice of yes, this weekend. So we've Kat and I have decided that we're gonna play a game with mm-hmm. all of our wonderful listeners, and that is how many times we're gonna place bets on how many times Kat could tell her parents that she has a podcast. Like straight up tell them without them realizing that without I've them actually- realizing that she actually has a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what was it? The count like three this weekend? This It happened twice this weekend. So yeah, five times total so far. Five times mm-hmm. total. I'm going to be really generous and say it's going to take at least 10 times. I'm wondering at this point. I was sitting with my dad and it was like late and I think I just talk a lot. So my family kind of tunes me out sometimes. <laughs> but, Which is why you have a podcast, right? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> why. But I'm sitting there with my dad and I'm drinking my tea and I'm having a good time. And he was like, I, I was talking to him. I was like, hey, you know, I always recommend that podcast or the, um, that documentary. It's called like the food that, um, the food that built America. And it's really cool. And it's a fascinating look on how, you know, ketchup was invented, Hershey's chocolate, all that stuff. But I, when I'm giving tours in the historic house, I talk about ketchup sometimes because Victorian house, Victorian food, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm, and I was ketchup. like, mm, my favorite. And... and i was literally like oh yeah i think i've recommended it on my podcast before i liked it so much dad and he goes oh yeah (laughs) you literally said on my my podcast podcast. i was like you can't even misconstrue that one you can't even know like oh she's talking about one she heard no straight up my podcast And I did it to my mom, too. I said something like, oh, oh, no, that's what I was doing. I was doing research on my topic for this week. And they were like, what are you working on? I was like, oh, a project. I have. I, I do this thing with Kaylee on the side. They're like, what? And it was right when my sisters, like, came into the room talking. So this one wasn't as obvious. But I was like, oh, it's for a podcast I run. And literally nothing. Oh, my God. You said the words. I said the words. And they still missed it. You're going to have to, like... Sp- Spell it out for them. I know. I'm going to sit them down and be like, guys, plot twist. I have a podcast. This is me. It is my published. voice. Like, <laughs> like, available now. That's my on name. All, on the cover yeah. art. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God. So there's wow. that. But um, it was really stressful to drive home for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you did it. And yeah. I think you're glad that you did it. I am. I, I think the full immersion therapy was good because it really is the first time I've driven like anywhere other than work after my accident. And I, I wasn't going to leave till Friday morning. And I packed my bag, put it all in the car for the next morning. And my school bag was still in my car. And my parents wanted something from the store that we only have here. So I was going to run and get it. And in that grocery store parking lot, I just left. I had what I needed. I was going to come home, put it in the fridge. And the car would be packed and ready for the morning. And then... Nope. I was I was like if I'm not going to if I don't go home now I'm not I'm going to chicken out in the morning. So I just went straight from the grocery store home like multiple <laughs> hour drive. There you go, I man. Like, I mean, that's, you know, that's part of it. It's just doing it. Yeah. That uh 6 lane highway closed down to one lane though. That was 
that was nerve wracking. I had to take off my Fitbit because it, like my yeah. heart rate was so high <laughs> no. that it was like it was like you've got your workout in, and I was like, no, I didn't. No, I I'm didn't. just having a panic attack behind oh, no. the wheel. <laughs> I mean, I, okay, so like I'm sure merging was like incredibly stressful. Yeah. But once you were in that one lane, it yeah. had to be kind of easier, right? I realized that the other cars make me nervous, but for me, I I used to like driving on. Um, not preferred, but I was totally fine driving in that left lane yeah. near the median because mm-hmm. there's no one on the left side of you, so it feels a little guarded and protected. Yeah. You don't have to look on both sides of you. You're only worried about people to your right. Mm-hmm. But ever since the accident, because I hit that inner barrier, like it makes mm. me really nervous being that close to the wall because every yeah. bump in the road that makes you feel it jostle the wheel a little bit, I feel like I'm losing control of the wheel again. No, that's fair. So yeah, middle lane all the way now. I didn't even get out of the middle lane. I got straight on and I was like, vroom, vroom, here we go. <laughs> and then when it made me merge into that left lane, I was like, ah, oh, mother. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. I know. I mean, I've been in construction like that when you're just right next to the barrier and you are so worried that it's... Yeah. Because sometimes the barriers, like, come out into your lane. Yeah. And you're like, what is that doing there? Like, Yeah. And, guys, oh if God. you don't if – if you've never driven in Texas, the barriers also last for up to 10 miles or oh, so yeah. at a time. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll be a full 30 minutes. But Yeah, well, on my way home, there was a highway that was under construction for a good, like, 20 to 30 miles. Yeah. It's fixed now. Well, after, like, a 10-year project, they finally finished it, but – it was good though and I got to see my family and I'm very grateful for that and I miss yeah. them and um my my family they're all really good cooks so I gained like 10 pounds of yeah food. I saw that you made or your sister made ratatouille and mm-hmm. I'm very upset that you did not bring me any I would have but we ate it all <laughs> <laughs> I've never had ratatouille but it's no big deal I guess. I'll make it for you I won't make it as good as my sister because I don't have a cast iron skillet but I'll make it my roommate has one you could use oh, we'll do that yeah. We'll do that. We had spaghetti that night. Hey, I've already told you that you can come over and use my backyard whenever you want. Yes, I want to. I need a suntan. Yes, that's what I did today because I was in a bad mood and I was like, I need to go outside, touch some grass. Yeah, I love how that's everyone's solution now is to touch the grass. It helps. I feel like I need some grass. I need to get an apartment with a little backyard. Which is why I told you you can come use mine. Cat lives two minutes away from me. Yeah, but she's gonna come downstairs one morning and just see me laying in her backyard. I've given her permission. She can get through my gate. That'll be good. I'm probably going to take you up on it sometime. But, yeah. How are you? Sorry. Let me um <coughs> clear my throat. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I'm okay. Um, I did not go home for Easter, which is, like, the first holiday I haven't gone home for. It was a little weird, but also it didn't – It like, my family's, like – I don't know. Like, my family is religious, but not in the let's go to church for every holiday mm-hmm. kind. Um. So, like, we never really did anything for Easter except, yeah. like, have, like, lunch or something with my mm-hmm. extended family and then, like, maybe have an Easter egg hunt. So, like, as an adult, I didn't really miss out on, like, an yeah. Easter egg hunt. Although they do, they my parent, my family in the past has been very generous with their eggs and hiding money in some. So, oh. I might have missed out on a few dollars, but... <laughs> Um, it was well worth it because I have had a very, very busy few last weekends and it was so nice just to be able to like chill out and like take a breather and not do anything for a day. We're about to head into like that final season too. So I'm sure it'll be nice to like, oh yeah, that was definitely the the calm before the storm. Um, so yeah, uh, that's really all the updates for me. It was just, it was calm week, nice and chill. So, 
yeah, I mean, I think let's go ahead and get into this because I think we both have several pages of notes to get yeah, we through. Do. Um, but it's okay. It's going to be a really good time. And also our hour allotment on our host website renewed. So we have six hours of good. content. This, this, this is not cycle. going to be a six hour episode, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't think it our, could be. It, it could be. But and I that would be the only one you would hear from us until May 5th. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Um, I think they'd all stop listening if we gave them a six-hour podcast. I don't even think that's allowed. I think that's illegal or something. Yeah, the streaming. Like, we should not be allowed to talk for six hours. Um, should we be legally. allowed to talk for one hour? Like, what are we really doing here? <laughs> that's fair. That's why we've given ourselves this platform. <laughs> that's true. No one said it was okay but us. Yes, exactly. So I think we're switching things up, and I'm going first this week. Yes. Yes. Because I'm doing our first two-parter, which is on spiritualism. So, spiritualism part two. And if you listen through all of our episode last week, you would know that I kind of mentioned that I would be talking about Harry Houdini. Because you truly cannot talk about the downfall of spiritualism without talking about Harry Houdini. I know none of this and I'm so excited. So, which is like weird because you're like, Harry Houdini, the like magician. Why is, what does he have to do with like all of these things? A lot. Um, Apparently. <laughs> so, Harry Houdini was born Eric Wise in 1874 in Budapest. In 1878, he immigrated with his parents and six other siblings to America and settled in Appleton, Wisconsin. And he would then claim Appleton, Wisconsin as his, like, birthplace from then hmm. on, I guess, to appear more American. Hmm. Um, and apparently now, where their house was in Appleton, is a square named after uh, Houdini. So, Houdini Square, if you wanted to go see that. I don't know. I'm not from Appleton, Wisconsin, so I can't confirm or deny. In 1882... Houdini and his dad moved to New York City, and they lived in a boarding house until they found permanent housing, and the whole family could join them. And during his time in uh, New York, Houdini had several jobs, which uh, included getting started with his interest for the performing arts, mm-hmm. as he was a trapeze artist at age nine. Whoa. <laughs> and he Child called himself- laws. Yes. Um, and remember, his name was Eric. Uh, he named himself Harry Houdini later, but uh, he named himself Eric, the Prince of the Air. That's catchy. That's catchy. <laughs> so very like a nine-year-old, but it's it's fun. It's all in good fun. So in 1894, he launched his professional magician career, and this is when he officially named himself Harry Houdini. Harry was from a childhood nickname for Eric, so Airy, and he just said Harry. Oh. And then Houdini, he actually got from one of his, like, role model magicians, Jean-Eugène Robot Houdin, <laughs> which is a French guy, I French assume. magician. <laughs> because <laughs> otherwise... Yeah, yeah, and so he kind of co-opted um, this guy's last name, Houdin, and just put an eye on it and went by Houdini, but not Houdani, which would be, I guess, the correct French pronunciation, but <laughs> we're American here, so... Um, Better yet, we are Southern. Well, he wasn't, but we are. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but ironically, even though he literally named himself after this guy, later, in addition to a bunch of other books he would write um, along the same su- subject matter, he wrote a book called The Unmasking of Robert Houdin. 
So he literally was like named himself after this guy. But then he was like, I'm going to write a book exposing all of his tricks. That's <laughs> because screw that guy. Apparently, that's a bitch move. I mean, uh, who do you He's an interesting guy uh-huh. as uh, we will see. So in 1889, he caught the attention of entertainment manager, Martin Beck, who basically catapulted him to fame. He was the one that kind of uh, got him booked in all the vaudeville circuits um, throughout America and was like very big time promoter. So he just was the right person for, for to see Houdini's act and then make him famous. And um, actually right before he became famous and got like his big break by being my by meeting this Martin Beck guy, he actually met his wife. Um, and it's a little, it's kind of a cute story. So in, uh, when he was 19, he was performing at a school um, when he accidentally spilled acid onto a girl's dress. When he came home and told his mom what happened, his mom made the girl a new dress and had him hand deliver it to the girl. And then that's they got so married. Cute. Wait, that's adorable. <laughs> that's so cute, right? And thank God she wasn't like permanently. I know. Acid I was burned. gonna say, like, wow. What kind of Yeah. Ass? Also, we should acknowledge that acid in this time probably wasn't regulated like it is now. So it's oh, probably absolutely way worse than not. Yeah, and he's it. like using it in some random magic act at a school. Um, Once again, child safety laws, guys. Yeah, so that was a very cute way of meeting. Um his wife Again, his name uh, Bess, and they would stay married all the way through the end um, until his death in 1926. So, wait, what year was he born? Uh, 1874. So he was 52. That's I did the math. That's... Don't do the math; it's hard. But that's just weird to me. Like I always, I don't know why I picture him looking more like Charlie Chaplin, like the oh, 20s for sure. to 40s. Well, I mean, there's a reason for that is because he was in several movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, when you said 18. That's just feels yeah. old to me. I don't know why. But. No, and like most of his popularity, I mean, he got this big break in 1899. So mm-hmm. most of his popularity, I, I just think we see him as like the yeah. 20s thing. Well, I guess he would have lived much older under current standards. Like Yeah, well, well, we'll we'll get into how okay. he died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he went on this big tour that this guy Martin Beck booked for him and he uh, – became basically famous from it he would tour america all the vaudeville places in america and then he would tour europe and vaudeville i thought would be a very fun episode uh so i'm not gonna get into what vaudeville is but it's basically like sideshow entertainment like you know not just your movie theater stuff but Mm -hmm. just physical physical comedy that kind of stuff and um so he would go on to Europe, and then he would eventually become the highest-earning vaudeville attraction in America. So he's doing – he's very talented. Obviously, he um, is still known today for his magic tricks because everyone knows Houdini and his escape stunts. Um, of of these is his ability to escape. That was what he was known for. Um, and, in fact, I put in here later, but he really um, – he wasn't really a magician. He was just an escape artist. Like, he did all the things he did. Mm-hmm. He just knew how to do them. <laughs> like, yeah. He wasn't really fooling anyone. Like, he was, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. He just did the things. I don't know. It's really interesting just because for, like, the sake of time, I don't have, like, time to get into the nitty-gritty details of all of his stuff. But he was, like, really open about how he did what he did. So you can go and look into um, how he did all of these escape stunts. And um, these escape stunts the ones he was like best known for 
were things like the milk can escape, the wa- the Chinese water torture cell escape, the suspended straitjacket escape, and the buried alive escape. So it wasn't so much as like people believed it. They wanted to see the performance of it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. It was definitely an attraction. And like he, like I said earlier, he made movies. He was very much an entertainer in all, mm-hmm. like for all sakes of the word or all definitions of the word, however that saying goes. Yeah. <laughs> and actually the Chinese uh, water torture uh, cell, I miss spelled it whatever <laughs> was so popular that it, it actually he just stuck with it and it was it was his act up until his death in 19, 1926 so that was his most popular one um and i'm sure there's like a bunch of stuff on youtube like reenacting it and everything if you're interested in looking into how it was done uh like i said for time reasons i'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty details of all of these but they're very fun to read through exactly how he did these things and like i said he's very open about it he was also in several movies because why the heck not? He also, oh my God, excuse me. My stomach is just throwing a fit. Um, Houdini also was fascinated by aviation and just dabbled in that because again, why not? I guess if you're the most paid vaudeville actor, you can afford to buy an airplane and just fly around I mean, in why not? 1909 when airplanes uh, I mean, they're not cheap now, but I can't imagine they'd be any cheaper in 1909. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that's kind of like his general background. And now I'm going to get into why we're here today talking about Houdini, which is the fall of spiritualism. So after, as we mentioned last time, mediums following the Civil War and World War II just became more and more exploitative. You know, the country was facing these like mass atrocities. People were desperate to get a hold of Sons that might have died during each of the wars, and people were taking advantage of that mm-hmm. and exploiting it. Also so, Victorian ectoplasm. Oh, don't worry, we'll talk about ectoplasm yes. today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so being a medium and a spiritualist kind of started to lose its kind of glamour, mm-hmm. um, popularity. It, following the civil war but it, especially as we get into the 20th century and one of the first big hits to this movement um is in 1888 when maggie fox one of the fox sisters we talked about last time mm-hmm. oh and uh, it's kind of late in the episode to mention this um because i was covering new stuff with houdini but now we get to the part of the show where if you haven't listened to last episode you should, really should go to that um, it's about halfway through kaylee stars yes about halfway through if you need to, uh, it, it will be helpful to have context for a lot of this stuff so uh, because i'm not going to re-explain all of the maggie or the fox sisters so maggie fox uh and um if you remember they're the sisters that kind of started this whole thing in 1848 on accident mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they she came forward and explained how the sisters um faked the whole thing and oh. she would later recant the statement but it's thought that she recanted it because she was living in poverty because she said it oh um, yeah. that'll do things to you so she like came forward said hey this was all fake everyone got mad at all three sisters and then years later she was like oh no i was lying but then everyone was like, no, you weren't lying. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, and if you're curious, and again, if you remember, their whole thing was knocking. And no one could prove how they were doing this knocking. Oh, yeah. And apparently the sisters would, and this is, I'm not sure. I've heard this explained so many times in so many different ways. I'm still not sure what this would physically look like. 
but apparently the scissors would crack the knuckle of their big toe onto the stool or the floor to produce the knocking sound. Uh, Oh. And people just say this in podcasts and, like, expect people to, like, understand what they mean. I have no idea what that means. I mean, the shoes back then had a pretty... I mean, I could see you, like, tapping your shoe against the floor or something like that or being barefoot and like or even just like taking your foot out of the shoe no one would notice under your skirts and like like curling your toes under and using it to like knock against the floor like you would a fist yeah i think it had something to do with like i have no idea i have no idea if you can do it I'm going to, like, after this, I'm going to stand there for, like, 10 minutes and make and you try watch to, me. Like, You're going to watch just, me try this. Yeah, because they were just, you know, sitting. I mean, they had big skirts and stuff, so they could conceal what they were doing with their feet for the most part. But you I, can, I'm, as someone who has worn a hoof skirt, really you can conceal a lot. Often, yeah, yeah. I can attest that you could move your whole lower body, hips down. Oh, for and sure. People wouldn't notice. You could easily slip your foot out of your shoe and use it to, like, wrap on the floor. Yeah. And I, I just don't know. I, and... Again, that's how I've heard it described, and I just I can't like wrap my head around it. But apparently, if you know what I'm talking about, then that's how they did it. I'm Something with trapped. their big toe and the floor. Um, wow. So uh, this was sort of the big first big major blow to popular mediums, though it really didn't make a lasting impact. People were like, oh, they were fake? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like... Everyone knew they were fake, but mm-hmm. I guess the movement had kind of, like, grown on its own to where it was just way past, you know, the people who started it. It was definitely its own monster. Um, so, as the popularity of the movement grew, so did the number of skeptics. And uh, I want to say that skeptics have been around for the whole thing. Don't just think that, like, everyone back then was just believing this. Yeah. There were people who were like, no, this isn't real. Um, and I think I, I really wanted to mention that because we have like, we all often generalize people of the past when people of the past should never mm-hmm. be generalized. So I just want to go on record saying they were not all buying into this hundred percent. There yeah. was always skeptics, but just towards, um, the beginning of the 20th century, there were more skeptics. Mm-hmm. And so soon, uh, it be kind of became like the skeptics were scientists or it kind of became like science versus spiritualism and mm-hmm. they had all these wars and stuff. But let me tell you, no one was doing more to disprove mediums than Mr. Harry Houdini. Which is shocking to Which me. is so weird because who knew, right? <laughs> like, yeah, no. Like no one knew this part about him. They're just like, oh yeah, didn't he die like during a trick or something? Yeah. Did he? So, Wait. We'll get to how I know nothing about Houdini. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) starting in 1920 with the death of his mother, Houdini sets his sights on exposing mediums. So actually at the beginning, he was very open to mediums. He didn't exactly believe in them, but he was willing to kind of try it. And he was really close with his mother. So his, the death of his mother like came as a big blow to him Mm -hmm. and he sought out the help of mediums to kind of help him get back in contact with her. And apparently he like, after every time he went to a medium and they weren't able to get in contact with her, he would go to her grave and be like, I haven't found you yet, which is just, that's so sad. That's so sad. And he must've really cared about his mother and that's just so sweet. But, um, so <laughs> he basically is is duped one too many times and people got real close and up close and personal like yeah they would try to find out like information about his mom and just like 
really exploitative and like kind of crappy things. And I'll get into it a little bit later when we talk about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But it just, it, it, it was very not in good taste for yeah. these mediums. And that's just kind of to show what they would do to families too. You know, you had a son die in the war. Right. And then they would be like, oh, I can get you in contact with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he was so hellbent on this. But, and hellbent, it was a good word to use for how determined he was for this. He, um, also a big reason why I think it's warranted to say is because he was the master illusionist of the time. Mm-hmm. He was the one that could do the magic tricks. And he saw all these people getting all this credit for doing magic tricks. He was like, no, 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 I'm better at this than you are. And I'm going to prove it Watch by disproving me. you. <laughs> I mean, um, he on X Games mode. Yeah. So I think there was a certain element of pride in there for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And uh, we'll see that later when we get to, like, the big story he was involved in. So he was determined, hellbent. I'm going to keep saying this word because, oh, my God, he was hellbent on this. In 1923, he took time off of magic to literally tour the country and lecture on how mediums were fraudulent. (laughs) During these lectures, he would often even like sit down and do physical showings of how mediums like did this like he would like he would say this medium is doing table turning this is how it's done like to his audience so he's like he's like doxing people oh absolutely he like wrote a book closer to 1926 that was like here are all the tricks mediums do this is how you do them wow yes (laughs) And then he recruited, he recruited a group of people that he called his quote own secret service to go out. And this was back when he was doing magic. So in 1924, he recruited a gang of people that were called his spook spies. Oh my gosh. That is not my official title. You cannot call me anything (laughs) but a spook spy. Oh my God. He recruited this gang of spook spies to go when he would go on tour for his magic they would go to the cities beforehand suss out all the mediums there literally write down what they did during the seances report back to houdini and then during his magic tricks in the middle of his act would stop the show and call out the local mediums by name oh my god and by what tricks they were using to fool people Bro. So he was... So basically, if you knew Houdini was coming into <laughs> town, you should basically, like, cut off all work. Yeah, but, him. like, the reason why he had these people, and they were mostly women, because women could, like, oh, more easily yeah. fake, oh, I had a son that died, oh, I have a husband that, that died. That, and naturally, yeah. people trust women more with No, stuff it's true. Because um, empathy and <laughs> a long-standing yeah. train of misogyny. Uh-huh. And they would, like, dress up as, like, different kind of people. So, like, as a mom, as a young woman who... Lost, lost her, her brother, lover. her lover, something like that. And then they would also, like, use fake names. And apparently one of the most popular fake names would they would use would be Francis Rod. And they would ni- sign the name F. Rod. <laughs> Fraud. Fraud. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they got they had a little fun with it. I they think. went for it. Yeah. So it's an all or nothing. <laughs> I know. And these people were like determined. His so he had an assistant by the name of Rose Macklinburg, and she was kind of really the head of this gang, and she had a big role to play in it. Um, and she's also someone who's really interesting to look into. But again, that would be a whole like bio episode. Mm-hmm. We just don't have time for because I have four and a half pages of notes today. <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> Yeah, um, so she was pretty cool. So, yeah, it's definitely worth looking into. Um, and, yeah, so because of all this and because of just how determined and, like, like refusing to, like, let down even a little bit, he apparently always carried a gun with him uh, okay. <laughs> because he was literally worried for his life and he encouraged all of his spook spies to carry one on them too. He didn't require it, but he did encourage it just because like people, these mediums had like die hard believers. Like, yeah, well, I mean, you're, you are ruining their entire livelihood, whether or not that livelihood is ethical or founded. Oh yeah. You are because it was the mediums entire... themselves, but it was also the people that like believed them yeah. because and, and you can't really blame people for believing them because these mediums are offering them like a, no. a, like some sort of hope like oh the person I cared about is like in a better place it's like cult victims almost like yeah. you can't really blame them because there's a whole psychology behind that oh for sure and there definitely was here too but I mean these people were willing to like <laughs> yeah like that's Houdini was and I think it was warranted and uh, yeah I mean he was out here like publicly exposing these people I would be a little freaked out, too, if I was doing that kind yeah. of stuff. So, obviously, there were dozens of mediums that Houdini was key in debunking. And he would just, every city, he would debunk mediums. He would go out of his way to make this his, like, min- mission. And it kind of became sort of, like, a second career for him. So, he had, like, magic, but then he also, like, did this, like, on the side, mm-hmm. part-time work. But in addition to um, these, like, dozens of smaller mediums, there was also a big name such as Anne Odelia Debar, Eva Carrier, and the Davenport brothers. Um, and all of those people have very interesting stories that you can go look into. And totally going to. Yeah. There's, like, one article you can look up, and it was, like, five, the downfall of five major mediums. And Houdini was mentioned in four of them. <laughs> and the first one was the Fox Sisters. Of so, <laughs> um, so, like I said, you can't tell this part of the story without talking about Houdini. But none of them made as big of an impact or as big of a kind of splash on him or the spiritualism movement as the story of Mina Crandon, the lit- witch of Lime Street. Mm-hmm. And I gave kind of a brief intro on her last episode. But now we're going to get deeper into that story. Okay. So a brief synopsis. As I mentioned in the last episode, Mina was a very famous medium who used her brother, who apparently her brother, Walter, who had died in a car crash as her spirit guide and was the one that kind of helped her talk to other spirits in the afterlife. She um, was the one that earned so much recognition that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a big fan. And also she was entered into the scientific american contest and was eventually selected to be a part of that contest and this contest was um was basically a panel led by a harvard psychology professor and mit physicist the head of the american society for psychical research a a psychic investigator and the editor of the journal scientific american all getting together and saying we'll give you a cash prize if you can prove in a lab setting in a controlled lab setting that you can physically manifest stuff. So, I remember this one. Ectoplasm. Yeah. yeah. Ectoplasm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, 
Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a big fan of her. And now I'm going to take a brief segue to talk about Arthur Conan Doyle and the spiritist movement. He was super into it. Die hard believer. Which is fascinating for someone who wrote the empirical character of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But apparently what's even more interesting is that Houdini and him were like very good friends for a long time, even though Houdini was like a diehard skeptic and he was a diehard believer. So like Houdini was willing and able to like put aside his like belief in this so maybe it's like not as all-consuming as it seems but it seems pretty all-consuming so i don't know houdini seems like a very interesting figure we should also note that this is probably like the second or third story that conan doyle has literally just shown up in by like relation (laughs) and i realized this dude had like was had a like finger in every pie i know like what was he doing um apparently just not minding his own business Um, so he was, as I said, uh, it was after World War II, uh, sorry, World War One, when his son died and he became basically desperate and dived into spiritualism headfirst. And he believed, he believed. And actually, it was funny because apparently during his friendship with Houdini, he was like convinced that Houdini was magic. And Houdini would like sit him down and explain like, no, this is how I did that. And he was like, no, you're magic. <laughs> kidding and he even gave up writing fiction so he gave up sherlock holmes to write about like spiritualism and psychic stuff wow and he apparently hoped and wished that he was remembered for his psychic writings and not his fiction writings which is of course no you really shouldn't because apparently like there was a doctored photo of like that proved fairies were real and he like went on public record were like guys look at this picture fairies are real and he was like a hundred percent serious i'm not googling this while you talk just so you know yeah i mean i get like uh i have these like old fairy books that like it was like kind of one of those like field did you ever see those field guides but to like mystical things Mm -hmm. i had the fairy one and it was amazing that's iconic Unfortunately, so he was a big fan of Crandon after seeing one of her seances and fully supported her during her um, participation in the contest. But unfortunately, uh, Doyle's and Houdini's friendship did not end well. Didn't see that one coming. (laughs) And it actually ends kind of worse than you would hope it to. So Doyle's wife um, was apparently also a little psychic herself and... She told Houdini, oh, well, contact your mother and faked the whole thing. No. It was stuff like Houdini's mom didn't speak any English, but she was speaking fluent English throughout the whole thing. She'd even had a conversation with Bess, Houdini's wife, right before just to learn stuff about the mom. Yeah. So that's, again, understandably, it all goes back to Houdini's mom and... (laughs) And he was like, yeah, that was a shit move. So that, that really is not unless you can pull off the bluff convincingly. Don't try to pull. Yeah. It off and apparently like the seance on happened on the mom's birthday. No. And this like, just keeps going didn't even like mention that it was her, like her birthday. And Houdini was like, my mom would have mentioned that it was her birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so not, it's like, you're kind of not surprised like you said like that the friendship ended but it's like in such a bad way that you're like ooh, ooh. but anyway back so so back to mina crandon that was my brief uh conan uh, author conan doyle uh segue or side note 
So apparently before this contest, um, she had skeptics too. And apparently one of them said that one of her first skeptics said that she was too attractive for her own good and that she was using her beauty to distract others from the illusion work she was doing misogyny oh yeah and she gets told several times to just oh perform the seance without any clothes on what so (laughs) these are the kind of people we're dealing with okay so now we're in the scientific american contest and as i said before it's all of these very qualified people who are running this and also houdini and what happened is he basically like heard about this contest happening through like their advertisements in the newspapers mm-hmm. found out where it was happening and just showed up <laughs> and was As like, you do when you're famous, like Harry. Houdini. Yeah. He's like, I'm here now <laughs> and I'm going to be part of this panel and I'm going to disprove this. So he like canceled his shows he was on tour, canceled, canceled his shows to go be and participate in this panel. And during this panel, Houdini was definitely more of a hindrance than a help. Um, <laughs> I would imagine. On the first seance, there was a total of, I think, 20, around 20 seances throughout the whole, like, investigation mm-hmm. for the Scientific American investigation. Uh, the first seance, he wrapped his legs in bandages and basically cut off the circulation so that his legs would be super sensitive for hours before the seance. Um, so that he could feel any movement that Mina might make under the table. And then, so one of the big parts of the seance was that Mina's spirit, Mina spirit guide Wallace would ring bells, and that's how he would communicate and show that he was there. So Houdini had her place one of these bell, but bells between the feet so that if it was Mina doing it with her legs under the table, he would feel her brush up against him. And he did feel her. So, I mean, he wasn't, like, completely unfounded. He would also do his things by literally, like, literally just keeping his eyes open while she told everyone to close their eyes. Why do you feel like the scientific <laughs> community really dropped the like, ball Like, what are you doing? How did, how did the panel not see her okay. kicking around a bell? close your eyes. <laughs> okay, open them now. What? Did you just throw the piglet? I did. You piglet. <laughs> oh, no, it was a ghost. You were supposed to close your eyes. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, um, uh, that was ghost. Oh my god, Wallace, my brother. You're right. He's speaking to me from beyond the grave. And Hootie's like, literally, I saw you throw that across the room. <laughs> She's like, how? I was like, I kept my eyes open. <laughs> um, I'm really sorry, but I'm trying to imagine all these men in like lab coats just being like, ah, oh, yes, yes, magic. yes, this is like, good scientific investigation. <laughs> No, literally, it would, and that's how like the ectoplasm stuff would work. It's like, oh, this is so real, but they're like, the the lights are super slow. Oh no, that's not just a napkin. (laughs) Um, and people would like fall for it because it's that confirmation bias thing of like, oh, this is real. Like, she's really doing it. Of course, not in like a scientific setting when you're like trying to be accurate here. But um, he also literally had a box built. That limited her movement, and he had her sit in this box during several what? seances, and this only allowed her neck and arms to move. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine this. A box. Visually. A, a box. <laughs> and she, of course, claimed that, oh, this would stifle the psychic process. What a great scientific and- <laughs> improvement in the box. 
cut armholes. But apparently the first time that this box was employed, the lid of the box did blow off and they can't really explain how that happened. Um, so spooky, spooky. But apparently the next time they used it, um, Houdini had planted things in the box to then later, quote unquote, find and then be like, oh, look, she had all these tools in the box. She's oh. going to break free. That's how she exploded the roof off the box last time. But and then they like found it out. And apparently it was Wallace, the one that was like, because apparently it, you knew when Wallace was there because he like cussed a lot and like mm. talked deeper than Mina. <laughs> so he was like, who left this shit in the box? <laughs> 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 uh, and actually, so this is where we get kind of so like so far, it's like, OK, not not great stuff. But he's, you know, at least opening his eyes. But apparently he was so desperate to disprove her that he ended up contaminating the investigation by adding his own traps to prove her fate. <laughs> and it soon became possible to tell who was doing what and which illusion belonged to which magician. <laughs> I'm really concerned about the scientist quality of lab-grade experiments. You would think it would be better than that. <laughs> not letting people bring in random boxes. Yeah. Like, full of stuff and like not checking them so i think after the box stunt and they're like okay well we have to check everything that comes into this lab now and houdini brought a bell in was like i want you to use this bell this is my personal bell for my bell collection and uh wallace has to ring this bell and they looked at it because they brought it into the lab and he had literally like rubber banded the like metal part in the middle that like makes the dinging noise he was like oh my god (laughs) but like but like the funny thing is is like no matter what if that bell had been rung, they wouldn't know. <laughs> so, like, it just completely contaminated any, like, positive or negative results. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh so, Houdini was such a nuisance to literally everyone involved that apparently Walter was so annoyed that he exclaimed, I'm going to do my Walter voice again. Houdini, you goddamn son of a bitch. Get the hell out of here and don't come back. If you don't, I will. <laughs> Isn't like, that amazing? I like how you vaguely held your arms out at your side. Yeah, like ghost. Is that how ghosts say? I thought you were Ooh. Just... <laughs> You can't see me, but I'm I'm mimicking a ghost's I don't... wiggly arms. <laughs> Houdini, you goddamn son of a bitch. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. (laughs) Don't come back. Or I will. That's quite a line, I have to say. Did you watch Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers? (laughs) Are you kidding? I watched every episode of (laughs) Scooby-Doo. This is like very much like a plot of a Scooby-Doo episode. (laughs) The way you were standing made me think of the way the one on the baseball hat. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So that's really awesome. But there was still like parts of this investigation that the committee could not prove. Uh, and they like published that. They're like, yeah, some of it we've been able to disprove, but others we've been able to, we haven't been able to disprove. And mm-hmm. there was stuff like they would hold, they would have like colored water and they would put it in Mina's mouth and then they would have Wallace speak and then have Mina spit the water back out and measure it. And it would be the same amount of water, but Wallace was speaking freely. And apparently they did a similar thing with a balloon, having her blow up the balloon and having Wallace speak. And it could just be like someone was a ventriloquist, but I mean, pretty impressive. Even then. Yeah. Yeah. That's and pretty impressive especially for it to be believing like that. Yeah. 
you know especially from someone as scrupulous as houdini who was in the room yeah looking for the fault Mm -hmm. and um so they were like i said they were like publishing like we haven't been able to figure everything out and this of course upset houdini who just decided to publish his own thing saying no no no, no, this is how she's doing it (laughs) and uh he didn't know about some of the things he just would come up with stuff um because he was again i think that's it's that element of pride and so the big point of this contest was to be to get um the psychic to manifest physically manifest um spiritual energy in a lab setting and this spiritual manifestation of or this physical manifestation of spiritual energy was ectoplasm. <laughs> and that's no. when, if you didn't go look it up last episode, you should really go look it up this yes. episode, the Victorian ectoplasm, because, oh my God, it's hilarious. Also, I did find photos of Conan Doyle and fairies. And oh, you did? Good. He's very obsessed. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so Nina kind of took it a step further than a lot of the other ectoplasm stuff. I think cheesecloth was, or tissues were a big use of ectoplasm, and they would like tape them to their mouths and be like, yeah, it's coming out of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Mina would, ha- apparently was friends with a butcher and yeah, no. used animal entrails. So while oh. it was a little more believable, it's a lot more disgusting. <laughs> mm, I'm going to throw up. And apparently this ectoplasm looked very close to the lung tissue of sheep. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow that's more disturbing to me than talking about the Donner Party. I well, you're about to be more disturbed. No, it doesn't get worse. This ectoplasm would also allegedly manifest a hand, so sometimes it would appear in hand form, and this hand would like move. Um, and they didn't figure out exactly how she was doing that what? until after Houdini died, but she it was a hand. What? Now we get to the disturbing part. No. One of the investigators, and this is alleged, but ru- rumor says, rumor has it, that one of the investigators uh, saw her reach up into her dress and pull the ectoplasm from under her dress. There's a lot of room to store stuff under there. No, though. there was one. There was one place. No. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> And I was listening to a podcast about this, and they had a good point of this hand that made several appearances was probably not a new hand every time. It's made from animal skin (gasps) (laughs) that she pulled out from... Oh, okay. I'm going to keep telling myself that there was room in her petticoats. That's I really hope there was. I really hope she had like a little pocket in there, like a secret compartment. It's like those people who steal watermelons out of the grocery store between their legs. I'm just going to tell myself that. You know, these are the people that, like, told her you should perform naked. So I'm not really sure how much clothing she had on to store these things. Anyway. Uh, anyway. I, if I think about it too long, I'm going to die. So, so, yeah. So that was, that was like, really the scientific American experience. And it kind of, kind of culminated. And she kind of... Basically, this was her manifesting this ectoplasmic hand was her wanting to up the ante in the contest and prove that like her spiritual powers were developing. And she also did stuff like apparently the table floated all the way up to the ceiling and it like the the investigators had like touched the ceiling and stuff like that, which 
I don't know how she did that ex- exactly. I mean, there, I'm sure there was a way, but yeah, I mean, you can just trick someone into doing something and yeah. they'll they'll believe it. It's like participants. You can really ah, pull participants from the audience. And someone like... touched my head. So that must have been the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then, so this was, you know, in 1925, 1926. And uh, eventually Houdini was kind of kicked off this panel um, I wonder why. Mina <laughs> Mina was definitely still investigated and she uh, after Houdini died the investigations got like very unregulated. They were mm. kind of all over the place. People were kind of violating her personal space and like just being very aggressive with their investigation but then also at the same time there was a lot of people who were like coming up and defending her and it kind of just really devolved very fast which is kind of why when Houdini died the spiritualism movement died because it just kind of it sounds like it was almost devolved yeah I was gonna say it sounds like it was almost running out of steam anyway yeah it's that whole bad press is good press he Mm -hmm. almost brought it back to attention by giving it bad press and then it was like oh wait Houdini's gone we're we're done for yeah, no, and I think that's really what happened. And I have a note here that, like, I think it was on the way out. I just think that Houdini kind of, like, prompted the process with him being so outspokenly vocal about this is BS. <laughs> like, I think, too, something coming from a platform where he, part of his claim is magic. Even if it doesn't claim to be magic, that's part of the visual people had about him. And yeah. for a man who is known for his, quote, magical abilities to say magic and mysticism and spiritualism doesn't exist is yeah. extremely detrimental. No, exactly. And, like, he would get up there and show them, like, step by step, this is how people do it. And so when they saw their mediums, like, their local neighborhood mediums doing the same thing, they're like, mm. well, this isn't real. I saw Houdini doing the same thing. Yeah. And I think that kind of really – he definitely, like, kind of jump-started the end of this movement, but it was going downhill anyway. So Houdini's death, um, (laughs) I kind of talked about it a little bit before, but he, a lot of people have this idea that he died during a performance, um, during an act, which is not untrue. He did die because of an act. Um, But before that, I've heard several different sources uh, about this, and they all kind of said different things. But it was either Walter, 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 the spirit guide, or another psychic that he had exposed. But Houdini was told in 1926, early in the year, that he would be dead before November. And he was. He died oh. October 31st, 1926. Oh. Very fitting. Um, and like, and um, he died because he had this act where he would tense up his stomach muscles very tightly. And he would have a member of the audience punch him. And it was basically proving how strong he was, mm-hmm. <laughs> like how physically skilled. Yeah. And apparently an, a fan ran up to him backstage and gut punched him. Before he was tense. Before he was tense. And he died. <laughs> Wait a second. I do remember hearing about this. I don't yeah. know who I thought it was, but I didn't realize that was Houdini. I just yeah. heard it as a story in like middle yeah. school. And so there's a lot of rumors about this. Some, some people think that it could have been like a, a, like a plan thing that like one of these believers in spiritualism was like, I'm going to go kill him <laughs> or at least I'm going to go put him in the hospital. But yeah. I guess I don't know if like if they knew that, oh, this is going to kill him or if they just it, it would it would it would be a lot of things of like just punching him in the right strength, the this right is timing. Not me planning a murder, but if I was going to murder someone, I would go <laughs> for the stomach. Like, yeah, there's the spleen and liver and you can rupture yeah. things, but I would 
go for the head. Right. Like, what are you doing? And if it's a guy and you're really trying to do some damage, go for the groin. Like, yeah. Oh, for like, sure. Well, yeah. And uh, that almost makes it sound like it was a fan who did it. On yeah. That. And that's what I'm tempted to believe, too. But there's still this kind of like, oh, my God, like, did he really die because of this? So much so that I think his like great grandson had his body exhumed just to check oh. for signs of poisoning. Oh. Um, like in 2007. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So recently, I don't think they found anything, but they were thinking maybe someone poisoned and then they like did the punching thing to cover it up. I don't know. It's it's very interesting. It's kind of seems like uh, not a very grand death for yeah. someone that was so grand. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, whoever told him that he was going to die by November, he died by he November. Did, yeah. Um, so but his tale does not end there. Houdini told apparently around 10 people a secret code that he would use during a seance if he was really there. None of these people ever heard the code. There was a time when, and his wife, Beth, tried for 10 years. Oh, bless um, her To, and she had seance after seance. And she thought she had found him. Mm-hmm. And she believed it. And the performer, the medium, was able to give her, like, details and give her the code, like, word for word. Um... And then it was exposed that he had heard it from somewhere else. Um, yeah. So, again, this, like, people just really taking advantage of it. And, like, I've been to mediums. Like, I've, like, modern mediums. And they have seemed very, like, real and legit. But not every medium today is real and legit either. Right. So you really have to, like, be careful on who you trust with this. Um, and she tried for 10 years and finally gave up after that. And... Uh, kind of swore off the whole thing like if she basically said like if there's an afterlife mm-hmm. i can't prove it stuff like that Aww. um if you're wondering what the code was it was rosabelle answer tell pray answer look tell answer tell so if you ever hear that it might be houdini yeah <laughs> next time you hold a seance check that ouija board next time guys just be like hey any chance this is houdini here right. haunting my house yeah <laughs> Except never use a Ouija board. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't actually. Yeah. I, I, I am not condoling. What is it? Not condoling. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. What is the word? I don't know. I forget not every word I've ever learned when I get on this microphone. So I'll think of it later. It's condoning. Con- thank you. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, we're not condoning the use of Ouija boards by any, by any means because... You don't know who you're talking to. Yeah, and your parents will get mad at you. My mom will get mad at me if I use a Ouija board. It's warranted. Yeah. I'm going to talk about my mom again. Their parents would get mad at us for telling them to use a Ouija board. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, that's true. You're never listening to that podcast again. Yeah. I mean, mean, we've said some interesting things today, so maybe they would have said that already. But anyway, so. This is what I'm going to apologize to the one German viewer we had last week because that was the week. Oh my God. Our first German viewer. And it's the week that I said punk ass -ass Germans. I didn't even say punk ass Nazis. I said punk ass -ass Germans. I'm so sorry. Because I'm German. Oh my God. But let me tell you, it was worth it. This weekend I had Wendish egg noodles, and you know what? They were. Kat, I'm not judging. I, again, I will reiterate, I was talking about the Nazis. And I, I think know. it's warranted to call Nazis punk-ass Germans. <laughs> um, so, like I said. Oh, I get it. So not all Germans are punk-ass, but all Nazis are punk-ass Germans. Yes. Is this, it's, what is it? Syllogism? That's a syllogism. Yes. Sounds right to me. 
Um, so I, like I said, Mina was heavily investigated after Houdini's death. Uh, they figured out that she, uh, basically was able to control the ectoplasm by using fishing line, which how they didn't see it beforehand. I don't know. Um, and apparently this fishing line was attached to a small knitting needle in her jaw that she kept in her mouth. She was able to like, and control it. (laughs) I just, knitting needles are sharp. Like, not so much. They're usually rounded. Yeah, but like to have a small one in your mouth? That would get uncomfortable. Like what happens if you swallow I it? I mean, she was keeping stuff off her skirt, so I can't the I don't length, think she was very concerned yeah, with she being comfortable. Um so like I said, spiritualism just eventually devolves and it kind of falls apart and the fad is over. And obviously there are still spiritual practices today. There are mediums today and there's a lot of I think good and like legitimate honorable mediums Mm -hmm. and i'm not trying to dog on mediums at all i've been to mediums i think it's very fascinating um uh whether or not you choose to believe it it is what it is but this is just the history of the movement and uh you know and i think mediums today are much less focused on the showy i mean again these were the victorians what else did they have to do other than talk to ghosts (laughs) you know everyone just kind of sitting around and they didn't have access to google of let me look up how this person is rated on google (laughs) Um, they just had to believe them because that's the one that lived within two blocks of them and uh and uh, one thing i want to mention is that so a lot of spiritual practices by white people come from Asian, African, and like uh, native groups. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that we as a society should pay more attention to that because especially because now at least what I've seen, people are kind of getting more spiritual and I've seen a lot of talk about tarot cards and like crystals Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And I just, you know, you have to kind of acknowledge where all that came from. Like, don't use white white sage uh, to cleanse your house. That's a native practice and it's a closed practice. So just kind of, if you're interested in this, it's not a bad thing. But just kind of know where these things come from and make sure that you're, like, acknowledging the past and the history there. But, yeah. Yeah, That's a really good point. Like, yeah. I mean, thankfully in undergrad, we got to, like, experience some. Our program was really cool. And they, like, took us to... A Hindu temple. They took us to a mosque. They took us to like a prayer garden. They took us to all these different like yeah. religious places, and they like separated us so that we could talk to people about like like a hundred percent open about their yeah. religion and their experience of their religion and what what it's like for them. And it was so eye opening because like you, I always growing up, I thought like other people have a religion like I do, and they view their religion the same way. We just all have a different one, and they don't. People view their religion as different like parts of their life than I do. And Mm -hmm. like, I I wish I had more opportunities to do that. Cause I think if we could enter that non-judgmental, like I genuinely want to learn about this, but I want to talk to you about it. But you also can't put that responsibility on people of the community. It's like asking your one friend of color to explain the entire yeah. struggle. Like, it's not fair. It's, yeah. it's not a question that should be asked. They are not responsible for educating you. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be really hard to educate yourself on that stuff, I think. But yeah, for sure. I was so glad that we got to experience some of the that other stuff in undergrad. And that's like, 
a constant thing I want to keep searching out too. Yeah. Because I didn't know that like I've never burned sage in my apartment before, but like set off the fire alarm. <laughs> but like I didn't know that people burn white sage, and I didn't know that that yeah. was and it's a close practice, practice because uh and it comes from american native groups and it's a close practice for a lot of reasons one because i think the white sage is endangered and two because it's uh when you cleanse stuff with sage it makes the the space neutral instead of like a positive space and Mm. so a lot of native groups will say no this is a close practice because we know how to make it a positive space and not just a neutral space where any kind of Mm -hmm. spirit or an energy can come into it so anyway i talked for literally almost an hour oh seriously (laughs) this is gonna be such a long episode i'll see if there's some uh ums i can go edit out (laughs) after this but yeah it was a it was a big thing and like i said i had a lot of notes today and it was just uh it was this was a very interesting topic to wrap my head around and yeah. I hope I explained it well. Uh, that is to be determined. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I, I thought it was great. So thank, thank you. you yeah. I've learned a lot and I learned a lot about crossovers in history and people being involved in things that I didn't know before. So yes. Well, I'm excited to learn a lot about one person in history. Yeah. Kaylee dropped it last week. He's a, he's related to all this kind of stuff. He's, um, womanizer his name starts with r if any of y'all haven't guessed it yet that was unplanned we probably blew everyone's mics out then or speakers out then but i'm not editing that out it's no, that was that's that was, really perfect man uh, you know we just dance after this <laughs> just dance i don't have a wee unfortunately oh my god well take anyway. it away cat tell yeah. us about rasputin yeah so um i grew up here in texas saying rasputin rasputin but um i have heard play- people say it rasputin i have heard that too so yeah. i'm going to say rasputin just for my own yes. sake um but yeah, I'm sorry if that's a well, very I mean, southern like, pronunciation. Well, I mean, like with the current president of Russia, they don't call him Putin, at least not in my experience. I don't, I don't, I've never met anyone from Russia who I've asked to say that's it true. in a natural accent. <laughs> that's true. But okay. for my southern self, it's gonna be Rasputin. Oh, I, I, I'll vouch. <laughs> okay, so Grigory Rasputin, um, he's kind of listed as a lot of different things. He's got the name the Mad Monk. He wasn't actually a monk. We'll get into that. Um, But he was born as a Russian peasant originally. But we know better. He was Russia's greatest love machine. Um, As the song goes. (laughs) And it's funny because it's like, usually things are like, I don't know, like nursery rhymes or like old war songs. No, this is just just a dance song. (laughs) Oh, that would be a Oh, I got an idea for an episode. Okay. Um, we'll talk about it later. Talk about it later. Yeah. Um, so the historiography, I know we've talked a more about that the last few episodes. Historiography. The history of history. The history of Rasputin's history is really interesting because at some points in history, he was studied just as a like political and ambitious man. And the more recent, recent years apparently have started to paint him as like this monk with mystic healing powers and a very sexual <laughs> man. <laughs> so... Oh my god, there's so many reasons why that could be. I, I know, there's a, <laughs> the song probably did it, but also we should acknowledge the movie Anastasia kind of yeah. reinforced that mystical, magical side well, of things. Well, too, I mean, people 
before recent history, the historians back then were just like old white men. Mm-hmm. And so they were like boring. They, didn't, they only cared about his like political stuff. They're like, I don't care if he had sex a lot. <laughs> and people like, oh, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. It, it makes looking at raw history difficult sometimes, too, because it gets really clouded with different interpretations over time. So historiography yeah. is fascinating. It can also be troubling and yeah. get in your way. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, I think that the biggest the, – his ability to have an impact in history was largely because of his timing in history. Like, just by okay, coincidence, he really fell into the royal family's good graces right during the Re- Russian Revolution. Yeah. So uh, it's easy to say that a lot of the stories about him are sensationalized, and it made researching this absolutely infuriating. Oh, no. Like, for I, someone, hey, I had a hard time on my topic too. So yeah, I, yeah it's uh, it's been a fun week, which is why probably this episode's gonna be a million minutes long. I know. I'm so sorry, guys. Yeah, we're so sorry. Hope you have a road trip to go on. Yeah, go home. Go visit. If you have a vaccine, go visit your family, hug your parents, something. Tell them hi from us. Yeah, go <laughs> go drive. In Texas, there's not much to do, but sometimes we just go on drives for like an hour and then stop at a random diner and just like, that's what you do in Texas. Yeah, um, hey, an hour there, an hour back. That'll probably be as long as this episode is. <laughs> so. There you go. Show your, put your friends in a car. Make them listen to a really weird Make podcast. them listen to us and also download them on us on their phones too. Yeah, help us out. <laughs> Um, but for someone who died barely a hundred years ago, and we have photographs of, we have records of, we have, like, writings about recently, it's frustrating that no one can agree on things. And if this I was... This is one of those history things, guys, and it doesn't yeah. just happen for people that are thousands of years old. It, it happens is... for people that are tens mm-hmm. of years old. It's, yeah, if we were to, if I were to go through and list every, well, one historian said this and this one said this, we would be here for, like, five hours. We would use up our whole month's allotment. <laughs> We joked about it at the beginning, but it might actually it happen. Might happen. <laughs> so, like much of history, we don't know as much as we wish we did. We do know that he was born on January 21st, 1869. So, actually really close to Houdini, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, five years. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't sure what you said. 74. And was killed December 30th in 1916 in Pokrovsky. I'm going to botch these Russian words. I'm hey, so now sorry. you get all the Russian words. Yeah. Pok- <laughs> Pokrovskoye, Russia. It's in the northern Siberian province. Right, Siberia province, yeah. So we don't know much about his young life other than the fact that he was born to a family of peasants. And it sounds like he had two siblings who died pretty young, one from pneumonia, one from drowning, I believe. And it's, it's to, again, up for debate. He may have tried to intentionally hide his childhood if it wasn't that great as he started moving up the social ladder, you know, uh, not wanting to, like, talk about, you know, troubled past yeah. or whatever. Well, especially if he's, like, trying to get in good with the royals. If they, mm-hmm. like, were reminded all the time that he was a peasant, they probably wouldn't be as willing to accept him. <laughs> yeah. Well, some say that there mu- he might have been a pretty rambunctious kid and, and even spent a couple days in jail due to fighting or something, which nice. really would not look good in front of the royals. <laughs> no. but, also, that checks out for Rasputin. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently these accounts came from people who didn't actually like grow up with him and heard it kind of secondhand and huh. already had a bias against him. Hmm. But we also should acknowledge that education wasn't formalized yet gotcha. for him so it's not like he we have journal entries from him and he was keeping up with literacy and everything like he would have had a small form of education he wasn't illiterate but he wasn't 
writing papers and essays that we can go back and look at yeah. his great philosophical contributions, like <laughs> philo- philosophical contributions. There we go. I can't talk to today, guys. I'm so sorry. It's okay. You had to struggle through a, literally a whole hour of me trying <laughs> to say words and failing. I'm pretty sure I mentioned, I, I, I looked back at my notes just now. The ghost, the spirit guide's name is Walter, not Wallace. And I had it as Wallace in one of my notes and, or one of my bullets. And I could have said Wallace. I promise it's Walter. Okay. Well, <laughs> just wanted to clarify. If I heard that, my brain would have gone the curse of the were rabbit. I don't know why. Wallace, oh, I absolutely Wallace did not. Vomit. Yeah. I did yeah. not catch that. Anyway. anyway. Sorry, cat. You interrupt. <laughs> um, so he was married to Proskovia Fyodor- Fyodorovna Dubrivina. Oh my god, it's still going. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's it. Okay, okay. <laughs> <Maybe. Woo. laughs> um, <laughs> and they had multiple kids. Um, accounts verified, multiple accounts verified this, that he named two of them Dimitri and Maria after his own dead siblings. Which is sweet. Yeah. Somewhere around his 20s seems to be his best guess kind of for all this. And for some reason, he yeets out of there. I mean, this one's also up for grabs. Some people say that he felt this divine calling from God and had a vision. Others are saying that, you know, he did something bad and had to, like, run from the law and left his whole family behind. But there's this, like, also popular story that he stole a horse. He did start <laughs> claiming around this time that he was a healer with the ability to see the future. Nice. My guess is also existential crisis because if I was a peasant in Siberia, I would get out of there, I think, in this time <laughs> Please, period. for the love of God, let me leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think about in this time period, being a Russian peasant wouldn't have been that great. Um, but he was kind of like in and out of his home on religious religious missions since about 1892. Either way, at 28 years old, in 1897, he decides to go on a religious pilgrimage to St. Nicholas's Monastery. And then he's like, ah, yes, a real calling. He's, like, found it now. And he starts going on longer and longer trips all all across the place, just kind of pilgrimages to different religious spaces. Mm -hmm. But he never becomes a real monk. So that name for him, the Mad Monk, is not... Is not real. Yeah. Um, he would have probably very much liked to think of himself as a monk and advertise himself that way. But oh, he was sure. never, like, brought into the church officially like that. Um, and it said on one trip that he made it all the way down to Greece. So he was going far and wide. Yeah. Um, and he had teachings and ceremonies and stuff. And he gathered himself a small audience. But he was supposed to be very charismatic and kind of just working this smaller circuit but some stories say he also brought people back with him to his village at one point that he was so charismatic that they followed him all the way back. So this guy could have been like a cult leader. Yeah, I, yeah. 100%. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. And Rasputin arrives in Russia's capital in St. Petersburg in 1904 to visit one of the theological seminaries there. And he's he's done enough low-key stuff that people are like, oh, Rasputin, this dude. Like, okay, I've yeah. heard of him. I, I've heard that patient. name. yeah. yeah. And he... I think there's a song about him. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Uh, um... <laughs> As you can tell, we're very focused today. I had a nine-hour shift with no breaks, and I'm, I'm feeling it right now. And my brain just doesn't work ever. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Forgive us. 
Um, so through this, he starts meeting people in the church, and they start kind of pushing him up the ladder, and he makes really powerful friends pretty quickly. And part of it's luck, part of it's that charisma, part of it's just knowing whose hand to shake when, you know? And he has a reputation for pretty heavy drinking, and there's already rumors at this point, when he arrives in St. Petersburg, of some sexual promiscuity. Nice. And, okay, so there's... monk move. (laughs) Anti-monk, technically. I don't know. But there's a sect of religion at this time that intentionally commits sin because they think... Basically, they thought, like, it was a speed speed dial to God. That, like, the closest you're going to get to God is when you're sinning. And oh. then you have to, like, self-flagellate and stuff to, like, punish oh. yourself. And okay, okay, it, it was okay. really I've interesting. I've seen that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but people thought, oh, maybe he's, like, sinning to try out their methods. and and But, like, that sect wasn't very nicely looked upon at the time. Yeah. And it may have just been slander to get him kind of discredited by people who were jealous of him moving so fast through the ranks. Yeah. Um, and his daughter actually wrote a memoir. And I believe in the memoir she says that her dad was never involved. That at most he would have been, like, curious hmm. about it. But he never would have practiced anything with them. But either way, all of this moving up, moving and shaking, leads him to contact with the royal family. And he didn't really have as much political pull as I think some people assume. It it varies on accounts. But a lot of his dealings seem to be pretty religious and about caring for the kids of the family, of the Tsar's family. Hmm. He really starts showing up in the high society around 1905 when Tsar Nicholas II and his wife, Alexandra Fyodorovna, because their son Alexei had hemophilia. And they thought... Yeah. yeah, Is he the one that, like... Fell off the horse or whatever. He had an injury to his foot. I believe that was... Yeah. I don't know if it was from a misstep or a horse or what, but, like, he had some injuries that weren't healing. And when you yeah. have hemophilia, you bruise uh-huh. so easily. Yeah. You you know, it's it's not like brittle bone syndrome or anything, but, like, it, yeah. it it's very risky. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of be, like, sit on a pillow your whole life. Well, back then you had to. There are methods. Yeah. You know, some methods we have now to help this. But uh-huh. it's it's not an easy one to deal with. Um. And, you know, they thought this mystic could help. And he wasn't really magical, but Alexei was heir to the throne. And they, all odds are that Rasputin just got really lucky with some of his medical suggestions. But we should also acknowledge that medicine at this point was still a lot of guesswork. Like, I think oh, they're definitely. still giving people cocaine at this oh, point. Oh, we definitely were. 1905? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. I think we stopped, like, bleeding people with leeches for the most part. Yeah, but... no no bloodletting, but there was definitely cocaine. <laughs> yeah, cocaine. Um, that poison we found in that doctor's bag the other day. Oh, yeah. Because we were in collections when we found a doctor's bag. Um, uh-huh. And there was, like, this poison called, like, veritaverum or something like that. And um, oh. cocaine, opium, like. We Classic had to, stuff. Mm, we had to contact risk control. Cause <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like in this doctor's bag from ni- from the 1890s, 1900-ish area. Oh, that checks out, yeah. So around this time, we're still looking at some pretty heavy-duty supplements here, guys. <laughs> yeah, vitamins. <laughs> yeah, vitamins. Um, but they asked Rasputin to pray for Alexei a few times, and around that time, Alexei's situation improved. We don't know for sure if they really thought it was magic or some other form of worldly, other out, outwardly occurrence. Um, but it's like you were talking about with mysticism, Kaylee. They really just want to believe that there is hope for their son, that there 
is someone with that special intuition who could help or just make yeah. sense of things. Yeah, and it's valid, especially when, you know, you're the royal family and this is the heir to the throne. People got desperate. And apparently the royal family was not disclosing well that Alexei had hemophilia. Like, they didn't mm. want to look weak. They didn't want to talk about that the successor. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, what's this monk Well, especially, doing? like, during that time. Right. I, I think you're going to get into it in a little bit, but it wasn't exactly the best time for the Russian royal oh, yes. family. Yeah, part of the reason my episode's longer today is because I have to kind of throw around ideas of the Russian Revolution. Oh, casual. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's easy. Not really. But there are some, like, stories slash theories that Rasputin was trained in hypnotism, which is still a modern practice. Like, there are certified... Oh, yeah. There's research on... Research. I know people. There's a lab at Baylor that does research into hypnotism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's some at UT as well. Yeah, and UT and other colleges in... I say, and Tech has a big nursing program, and I think they do it Yeah, well, it's just really interesting. I mean, you know, we're from Texas, so we kind of only hear about, like, the Texas schools, but, like, I know for sure, like, through a program I'm in that I've heard that, like, people from Baylor who have worked in that lab and stuff like that, and it's just very interesting, because, like, having conversations with them, I'm like, you're doing, you're hypnotizing people as your research? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's an old practice, and it's derived, like you said, from other cultures. I believe hypnotism comes from an Asian culture, doesn't it? I'm not entirely sure, actually. I could be re- really wrong. Don't mean yeah. to insult anyone. My brain just went there. Um, But, yeah, and it said that maybe during one of his bouts, because if you're a hemophiliac and you get cut and you start, your blood pressure goes up, it can do more damage. And it said that um, Rasputin may have hypnotized Alexei and calmed him down enough uh. that he stopped thrashing around and causing further bleeding. Interesting. One says that Alexei may have gotten a hemorrhage and that Rasputin was like, no, keep the doctors away from him. You know, they usually had doctors, like, on yeah. call. And he was like, no, don't do it. Don't bring the doctors in. And modern scientists think that maybe it saved Alexei's life because those old doctors would have been giving him an early form of aspirin, which would have made it worse since it would have thinned his blood. Oh, And made yeah. him bleed out or something more quickly. Yeah. Um, so whatever... So it did sound like he was just getting lucky. He was... Yeah. yeah. And... Whatever happened, Alexandra did trust him greatly, especially with her son. So he mm-hmm. had an in. He was, like, guaranteed a front row spot to, yeah. this, to the Russian Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he kind of became a scapegoat because, for context, the Russian Revolution cannot be explained in the amount of time I have right now. That'll be its own episode, I'm sure. But the country itself is not very stable. The Tsarist government is an autocrat- autocracy where one person holds total power, and they were still holding onto forms of feudalism, where nobles exchange military service for land, and vassals are their tenants, which peasants live on the vassal's land and have to work the land in exchange for protection. So this is a brief intro to Russian Revolution and also feudalism? Yeah. Oh my lord, Kat. I, I, we're going to be here forever. <laughs> no, that, that's as far as I'm getting into feudalism, because I can't go any further into That's depth. basically all you need to know. Yeah, yeah. Everyone... We're taking advantage of the little guys. We're kind of, like, forcing their hand at this point. Um, And the middle class is becoming more prominent because of industrialization across the planet. You know, they're looking for any type of government that represents them better, and the economy isn't doing super hot either. So in 1907, with all of these changes, there's a new constitutional monarchy with a parliament and prime minister that the Tsar now has to kind of share power with. Gotcha. Not super happy about that. You know, the royal family's like, eh. And this is, you know, a couple years after Rasputin really shows up in the high court. So he's he's 
here for all of these constitutional changes. But then World War One hits, and the revolution is not far behind. Resources are getting scarce, people aren't happy, and then the Tsar goes to the front lines of the war for a while. Because apparently Rasputin told him, like, I have a vision of you lead, leading your armies, of you being out there in the nitty-gritty with them. And gotcha. Okay. He's like, yeah, yeah, let's go win a war. And he goes yeah, to the Yeah, I mean, they lines. trust him mm-hmm. enough already, I'm sure. And apparently, it actually kind of makes things worse. Uh, Oops. Because apparently, the Tsar was not super great at what he was doing. But either way, it leaves Rasputin with Alexandra. And it raises a lot of concerns about who he's exerting control over. And I thought it was interesting that you brought up, you know, historians are used to predominantly be old white men. Yeah. And if you think about it, it I... I I want to believe that Alexandra was actually a very devoted mother and devoted leader and that she had the gumption to rule while her husband was away. But there are a lot of accounts accounts that say this is when Rasputin really started to control her and her political ideas. And to be fair, it looks like there were appointments made appointments made in the government that he suggested and that those people weren't necessarily qualified and that mm. he may have used a couple favors to get them in. Gotcha. But I don't know how much of that is. Alexandra also knew these people from court and agreed mm. versus, yeah, that's true. you know, versus historians wanting to say this female was not qualified yeah, exactly. and, and was easily influenced by yes. this sexual man. Uh-huh. And like the woman was weak. I, it's really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, for sure. And again, we have to look at history with question we we know Mm -hmm. that there were appointments made that favored some of rasputin's friends but who's to say that wasn't alexandra's doing as much as Rasputin? exactly like he's not yeah i completely understand and i completely get it yeah yeah it's it's easy to that's very valid and i think that's an important yeah that's an important point to bring up yeah um yeah either way both political leaders and families of the nobles are trying to undermine the tsar's power and how do you do that you start attacking their closest friends and mm-hmm. influences and make them look really shady and untrustworthy. And even if you can't directly go after the Tsar who's on the front lines or the Tsarina who is, you know, still powerful and cares for her children and, you know, you, you can't really attack them as easily as you can Rasputin. And you can question a lot about him. I mean, you can make him look shady and untrustworthy, yeah. which is easy with this mystical bearded man who has <laughs> yeah. healing powers and shows up and the whole family, whole royal family was just like, hell yeah, this dude is dope. Let's let him into our house. Let's let him <laughs> also, into the courts. I mean, uh, maybe I should hold off on saying this, but it's so funny. But like the him, the thought of him being like Russia's greatest love machine. Like, that's so funny to me because if, if you've never seen Rasputin, you should probably look him up. <laughs> He was uh, not a looker, exactly. Not by our standards. Well, and it was really funny because the song blew up on TikTok a couple, like, months or weeks ago. Yeah. And I saw so many people on TikTok that, like, weren't history people, very obviously. Um, because any history person knows that Rasputin was not an attractive person. <laughs> and they, like, looked at pictures of him and they were like, oh, my God, I thought he would be at least a little cute. He's no, not. He's not. <laughs> He's not. He's terrifying. He's really scary to look at. You know those, like, uh, automatons? No, that's not the real word for them. Um, <laughs> that's a word I learned from a book. Um, and, like, this, you go into a Spirit of Halloween store. And oh, have, my like, God. No, that's movie. what he looks like. Like the skeleton <laughs> yes. guy. Yes. That, like, you walk by and it triggers and the it, automatic, like, you're like ah! yeah, That's what Rasputin looks like. 
Oh my god, that's really yeah. Yeah, that's very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so this creepy dude's hanging around the court, and all these people, nobles and political figures, are like, "Okay, we can use this to really shake the image of the royal family and their judgment." So they just kind of slander the shit out of him because a lot of the royal family also has a tense relationship with the Russian Orthodox Church. And there were some rumors that Alexandra, the Tsarina, was actually trying to overthrow the Russian government in favor of her home country back in Germany during the war and that Rasputin was helping her in Germany win the war. Hmm. So they've, they've, they're attacking his political alliances. Yeah. Um, they're attacking the queen inadvertently. Well, advertently that they they were making a point to attack her mm-hmm. but they've slandered his political his personal life his political trust and of course what else do you have left to destroy other than character and rumors of a section sexual 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 relationships with alexandra in the process because yep. why not yep you because know, he sent his husband or her husband off mm-hmm. to war and i can't find any evidence of an affair between them there is no hard evidence but he was known to have a few different sexual partners over the years um so the whole idea of him being a heavy drinker and somewhat promiscuous like isn't unfounded yeah but there is no evidence to say that he and alexandra were without a doubt hooking up yeah so i don't want to say that they were i'm not going to say they that they weren't yeah her husband's gone and people used to think that was attractive um, I feel like he was still considered ugly back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at pictures of her husband and, like, the other yeah. nobles of the time period and the way they were groomed and took care of uh-huh. themselves, I don't think that he would have fit Maybe that, that was part of the appeal that he was, yeah. like, a rough... The inf- rat, the bad boy on The a bad boy from <laughs> Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, about <spute. laughs> Never make that face again. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So... And, I mean, it doesn't help that the royal family still isn't talking about what's going on with Alexei because it looks like they just really like this dude. And then the husband leaves and Alexandra is giving him a lot of trust. It does look shady. It does look shady. Especially when you don't realize that there is a dying child back in the palace that needs a healer. But whatever. Um, And we all know these sensationalized attempts of, like, these sensationalized stories with 20 attempts to kill Rasputin, yes. you know? Yeah. But it's, it's And he not, survived all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not all rooted in fiction. And I think we don't realize how easy, how much easier assassination used to be. That's like, so true. Abraham Lincoln was, apparently he had like eight attempts before Booth Yeah. Like, I mean, and that was just like at a theater. Yeah. Which now like, no one would be able to yeah, enter that building. Yeah. You, yeah. It's crazy, which... People don't get assassinated like they used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So we don't really know for sure. And you can't yeah. ever know all the failed attempts that... Oh, yeah. Like, it's like the whole Princey thing with Franz Ferdinand. Like, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. they were about to throw in the towel on that. And then... Yeah, and then they just saw him. And they were like... What was he at? Like a... I think he was, like, trying to kill himself in the river because he failed the first time. And then yeah. he couldn't. And then he went to, like, a sandwich shop or Yeah, something. they would do, like, a sandwich and shop. And he's like, oh, oh wait, that, wait. There, there he is. is. <laughs> and then World War One started. <laughs> so, yeah, you're never going to hear about all the failed attempts. No one's going to be like, yeah. oh, yes, I wanted to kill him. And then my ego. Yeah, um, and I've heard a lot of, like, with Rasputin in, in particular, like, there were all these attempts, but they all went wrong. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, like, him, like, mystically, because that's, yeah. like, the story of him, like, mystically being able Surviving. to, like, avoid death. But it was stuff, like, they put arsenic in something that neutralized the arsenic, the yeah. lethal power of the arsenic. And mm-hmm. then, um, or like, I feel like anyone to them. in the high court's going to yeah. be hard because you have to do it on such a, on the yeah. DL. You have to, uh-huh. like, be careful about it. But there was one that actually left him pretty Ooh, damaged. really? Yeah. Um... So, in 1914, he's on his way to the post office. One account said that he was actually, like, home, on his way home from church or something like that. But he's he's going somewhere. And a woman is disguised as a homeless person. Um, just shanks him. <laughs> what? Yeah. So, this yeah. is, like, a real, like, assassination. Yes. Like, not we're just going to slip something into his drink at the end of the night. Oh, no. Like, straight up. Takes a knife. And oh my God. stabs him. And it takes him weeks of recovery after surgery. Um, he survives, but apparently, like, <sighs> women who have had C-sections, mad props to you. But you know how it's actually yeah. way easier than you think to just take your intestines out and just, like, put them on a table? Mm-hmm. If you're a woman with a C-section, I have nothing but respect for you, because that's basically what they do. It's that's a very literally what they thing. do, yeah. yeah. Um, and so apparently, like, he got stabbed bad enough where, like, he was holding the oh like, his stomach. What? Yeah. And that, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why it took him, like, weeks of recovery, and it was kind of a miracle that he survived at all. And it's Yeah, thought, especially in, like, 1910. Right. Yeah. We did not have medical knowledge. We didn't no. have anesthesia. It was just, like, chug some whiskey and hope that it goes numb. Uh, but the official hit was thought to be put out by a priest of a nearby sect who thought Rasputin was, like, the Antichrist or was going to, like, doom the church. And She put out a hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he, this woman that he asked or hired to do this job wasn't charged because she wasn't deemed sound of mind. Interesting. So she's got, like, a slap on the wrist, I guess. I don't, I I don't know what happened to her. But people would talk about, I mean, this fueled the thought that he was unholy and unnatural and he survived this with yeah. his powers and, and that adds to like the mysticism mm-hmm. and stuff like that and it's yeah. literally damned if you do damned if you don't if you survive yeah. you're unholy and if you die then it was a, yeah it was it was god's will god smiting you because you were unholy yeah <laughs> yeah so we can't be 100 sure 100 sure of how he was murdered even at the final and the final attempt because it was done in private and there's different huh. accounts of, like, did it happen in the ballroom? Did he escape through a courtyard? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So the game Clue is made about Rasputin. Oh, my gosh. I think every time I play Clue from now on, I'm just going to imagine that it's Rasputin has been killed. <laughs> <laughs> what if there was a historic version of Clue? I think we should do that. Merch oh. idea. Merch idea. We call dibs. We call dibs. No one else do it. Yeah. Uh, none of our very few listeners. We, we appreciate you. But yes. none of our very few listeners take that idea. Yeah, it's ours. <laughs> um... So, there is one widely accepted account that Prince Felix Yusupov collected a group of nobles, many of which were in, if not all, because they all had to be on board with this happening. Even if they weren't directly involved in the planning, they were going to witness it. And they're like, okay, yeah, we're, the best way to poison Rasputin is just by putting cyanide in his food. Um, so, let's all have a dinner, and everyone be really cyanide. careful, and we're just going to poison this dude. Yeah. But like the reputation foretold, he likes his alcohol. And he gets through, like, multiple glasses of wine oh and all this food. And everyone's just kind of looking at each other like, bro, oh what? Oh, my God. Is he going to die? Is he going to die or not? Oh, no. And, you know, there are some speculations like, hey, 
maybe the food, something in it, like, canceled out the poison. Or yeah, maybe that's, the, I think that's what I was talking about earlier. I don't know if poison yeah. can go bad or expire. No, there's nothing in wine. People, po- like, yeah. cyanide is a standard poison. Yes. It, there is no guesswork. You put no, it the yeah, cyanide die. kills people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is an Iocane powder situation from Princess Bride where he has, like, an immunity <laughs> to it. I don't know. Oh, my God. But it's not working. And Raspy Boy over here is just chilling. He's having his dinner. And eventually one of the guys is like, I don't know, maybe we switched it out. Is any of, are any of us dying? Are, no, we, are you di- dying? <laughs> Did they get but, the wrong plate? Is someone in the kitchen dying? I know. <laughs> Prince Felix finally gets fed up with it and grabs a revolver from the oh Tsar's cousin. And oh my God. Rescue. <laughs> rescue gets the ground. We're like, awesome, mission accomplished, we did it. But after a few minutes on the ground, Rasputin gets up and runs. Oh my god! He does not! Runs for it! What the? (laughs) Some people say he made it all the way out the courtyard. Some people say he made it to the door. Oh my god. Different accounts. He's like a cockroach. Yeah, literally. scares me what's in a can of raid because those things survived like nuclear missiles and oh that's a good point yeah so whatever but where was i oh yes murder (laughs) so literally asked prince felix about this and they're like hey what exactly happened that night because he it's he's in exile later as most of the royal nobles are after the Uh russian revolution but he none of his accounts quite light up like, he can't say for sure huh. what happened that night, so... Maybe Rasputin put a spell on them. Maybe. And he never actually died. But that means that the man who shot Rasputin doesn't even remember what happened. So we don't... We will never have a clear story That's so here. interesting. Yeah. So, as he's running for the door, everyone else is like, uh, what the... F- <laughs> what just happened? And they're all like, okay, grab your weapons. And some accounts say that multiple people turn around and shoot Rasputin. Oh some say it was just Felix again. But either way, he falls to the ground. Yes. And apparently he's still moving. I was going to say, <laughs> dead? No, I don't think he's dead yet. Not quite. <laughs> oh and so God. they shoot him again. Oh my God. They're finally convinced he's dead. They roll him up and put him in the Grand Duke's car. Like some terrible spy movie. Oh my god, this isn't real. Look what's happening. I know. And they're driving really slowly. Like, he's so scared of getting caught with Rasputin's body in the back of his car that he's like driving slow and didn't oh my draw god. any and attention. And this is like the himself. royal family. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It's, this is how crazy history really is, guys. If you thought it was boring, you are wrong. Oh my god. But they drop him in the Neva River. Nice. And he's found a few days later with at least three bullets in him. So he was he was shot multiple so times. So he was shot. Um, Confirmed. Mm-hmm. Yes. One part of the story. <laughs> I don't have access to his autopsy records, unfortunately. So I can't That's confirm, amazing. like, which bullets have which marks on them were yeah. from which gun, which yeah. type of, you know, how many different guns were used to shoot yeah. him. But... Um, even reputable places that I looked didn't all agree on what the final cause of death was. It may have been drowning. It may have been bullets. It may have been hypothermia for being in the river. Or it may have been the poison that finally did him in and finally hit his system. But since we can't, we, we can't do an exhumation because Alexandra buries his body in a marked grave. And then later, the revolutionists were like, ah, nah, get him out of there. And then they go and burn his body. Oh, my God. So we literally have So the no only clue. safe bet is to assume that it was all four. <laughs> yes. I 
It I took four if... different ways to kill this man. <laughs> poor dude, though. Like, he was just trying to live his best life and exert political control in some ways, shape, or form. Like, I... Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he was trying to not be a peasant anymore. Yeah, I mean, I can't fault him. <laughs> so, within a year of Rasputin's death, the Tsar and his whole family are murdered. That's a whole different episode. Whole yes, different episode. That's Anastasia, the one yes, you know Anastasia. about. Yes, Anastasia. Um, yes. And we will get there eventually. Not next week, though. <laughs> no, not next week. We have something cool coming next week. Hopefully. <laughs> I thought of a cool idea while we were talking earlier. That's yeah, episode about. 10. Episode 10. We're going to try to make it fancy. Yeah. Cool. But, yeah. So, it's not because of Rasputin dying that the family's killed but it really shows how fast things escalated during the russian revolution yeah. like you say french people know the revolutions russian people went big <laughs> on this one guys oh my god well i think french people know how to revolt russian people just know how to do everything All no of- holds barred <laughs> like <laughs> true just true. well within the next year completely. the bolshevik revolution has started yeah yeah that's what kills the sarin's whole family technically yeah. is like that Yep. separate thing but his modern reputation would suggest that he's an unstable magical mystical monk and kaylee hearing about how people were in this time period makes it really obvious how sensationalized things get yep. um yep, how yep. easy it is to just discredit someone by saying like he was magical oh my oh, god yeah. or uh-huh. how easy it is to be like oh no that's not valid at all uh-huh. and it's like there are parallels throughout history even american history salem witch trials um the red scare that you talked about mccarthyism people are just looking for it to be true yeah and it's that kind of like mob mentality thing of Mm -hmm. like uh, and especially in a time when they're looking for something out of this world and fantastical and to take them away from the ideas of revolution and starvation and yeah you know they're just looking for something fantastic to save them yeah oh i completely agree yeah Mm -hmm. he definitely wasn't magical yeah and like i said never officially a monk there are some writings of his that suggest he wasn't the most fluid person mentally but we should also note that he didn't have the best education yeah and he may have been true. a little scatterbrained or yeah. you know he may not have been able to articulate his words onto paper very well and as we know neuroplasticity your ability to learn well yeah decreases as you get older. oh yeah so even if he got to russia like to like saint petersburg and they're like oh yes if you're going to be in the royal family here learn how to write better there's no saying that he could have actually learned a whole lot at his age about mm-hmm. you know that stuff yeah um so we he might have just been really unable to write well yeah and commit that to paper but his daughter ran with that image, though, because Mar- one of his daughters, Maria, fled after the revolution, and she joined the circus and became a lion nice. tamer. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. And she advertised herself as the daughter of the Mad Monk. She nice. She wrote a memoir, and she voices her doubts about the assassination story, like the fact that her father wouldn't have eaten sweet cakes that they served since he didn't eat sugar after his stabbing because he had hyperacidity. Huh. And she doubts that he was poisoned at all. Um, and that after that first assassination, assassination, I can't say that word tonight, attempt, it's a he, hard word. yeah, it is. He was always a little bit different and started taking opium. And huh. that made me wonder if maybe he was like really high that night. Yeah. Because that would, that would, the bullets. Yeah. Because if you've heard, if people who are really high mm-hmm. don't, don't die you don't easily. You stimuli. Yeah. You don't, it's like. <laughs> What is it April Ludgate says in Parks and Rec? She's like, where's your angel dust? What's PCP your angel dust? You can do anything on angel dust. <laughs> but, like, no, it's yeah. true. And that's there, true. That's a really good point. And there's some of those old things. Like, the reason I think that old doctor's kit we found in the collections department had, mm-hmm. like, veritaverum and yeah. had 
some of this other poisonous stuff is cocaine's an upper. And I think mm. the poison we found was a downer. Yeah. So, like, if someone has a really high heart rate and needs to calm down, you give them something else. If yeah. their heart rate's really low, you give them cocaine. Like, you get yeah. them high. Like, who's to say that... I don't know how these drugs worked, but maybe if he was really high on opium, it helped counteract maybe so. the cyanide. Or at least made it not as painful as he's getting shot and he could yeah. get up feasibly and try to run for it and not register like oh, there's a bullet in me oh like, i think yeah i mean that's for sure i yeah there's a lot of stories about like police officers like pursuing people who are oh, high yeah. and, and they are like seriously injured you shooting shoot tasing because they're high but like yeah no exactly. but like it's if, not warranted but if they're doing something aggressive and then, like yeah. they're harming people and they get shot they won't stop. they won't stop it's like a rabid insane. animal like yeah. your body does not register that uh-huh. stimulus yeah um, but we also can't walk away without talking about his appendage. I made sure to have Catherine include this in her notes mm-hmm. because I would not let her leave this episode without there's, Yes, there's mentioning. a long history of Rasputin's penis. Penis. <laughs> Thank you, Bailey. <laughs> I needed a backing track. Thank you. So Rasputin had a very public relationship with women and there's this story of him being castrated during his murder as punishment for his like sin and lustful tendencies etc but we're not shaming here you know he was he had a good time yeah um but there are stories that his appendage was kept in a jar yes afterwards um yes and there are even some stories that like it traveled in a box to multiple people thought that looking upon it could like help you with impotence and that it was magical and mystical and all this other stuff. Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) Um, But the autopsy does state that all of his body parts were intact. Gotcha. So there's no official record of it being taken after the fact. Um, And people have profited from this financially a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... Well, you're going to get to it. Well, no, I mean, and it it came with a lot of calls for attention and like it, it, people really like milked it for all it was worth and they could make money off of it. And there was one person apparently that was so adamant that he had the jar with his, with Rasputin's penis in it. And Maria, his daughter was consistently like, you have to give that to me. Like you, if it is really. Yeah. I would like to bury that. Yeah. Like it's, (laughs) please. Yeah. A body part. I don't want my dad's. No, like but I mean, uh, but like you don't you don't like the idea of your father's yeah, body and you would want to like bury it, yeah, yeah. So, um, mixed reviews. Um, there are museums that still claim to have it. Yes, um, several. Uh, there were two I found oh, that both nice. say they have it. Um, awesome. There's one more credible than the other. There's like a whole museum of like sexual history or something like that. Um, yeah. that claims they have it. So I don't. I don't know. Um. I, I mean, if you really just people, want to go see a pee-pee in a jar, yeah, then you can you go can do go. that. <laughs> but from official accounts, it is not necessarily Rasputin's. Yeah. So it's like this long, not fairy tale, this long... So like nothing about this man is confirmed. Like... Yeah, yeah. That's the difficult part. Yeah. Um, so believe what you will. Do some research. Go find the revolutionary information. Um, and speaking of the revolutionary information last week when no two weeks ago i was talking about nefertiti no it was last week that i talked about yes, nefertiti. last week um, yeah so since then 
they're actually like it was this previous week they had a huge celebration and parade because they found like basically they found a they didn't find i shouldn't say that they they have um 22 mummies that they were transporting to their new uh neoclassical egyptian museum from there to their new resting place um, about three miles away and okay. they had a massive parade. There's 18 wow. kings and four queens. Wow. And they tightened security. And they almost made this a performative thing, the relocation, to the new museum of, uh, new National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. It's called the, and this was called the Pharaoh's Golden Parade. You can look it up. It's actually amazing. It's beautiful. Wow. They like That's so cool. They had the kings and queens in chronological order of their reigns. And, um like transported them on these like cars that had special shock absorption wow. for the artifacts and they huh. were designed to look like chariots and they had a procession That's with like so cool. all of these people and like dress all these people dressed wow. in the historic clothing for it and stuff. it's so cool please go look it up but um it, it was one of those things where i was like that feels oddly like grave robbing to me and then i realized you can't leave these bodies where they are anymore there are yeah. grave robbers it's yeah they, they have to go to a museum now yeah. so and if they're not grave robbers and something's gonna be built on them or and stuff like that yeah. yeah but it's like i my hope is that stuff like this will allow people to like find out more about those long lost pharaohs and queens and and all yeah. this cool stuff that we can find that so is it's really like, neat if this podcast has inspired you and you're frustrated with my lack of knowing 100% what happened to Rasputin, <laughs> go find his autopsy report. Please. Go, go find his body in the woods that's burned We to need people like that to make discoveries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, this is your call to action. Yeah. Well, that was really fun, Kat. Thank you. Yours was really fun, too. I learned a lot today. I learned a lot today. I really did. It's I'm- a, I mean, our longest episode yet, but hopefully an informative one. Sorry yeah. if I was a little rambly. I feel like my notes were really all over the place and also i keep having indigestion problems i am like shaking so bad we're both off our game yeah okay (laughs) maybe we should stop talking (laughs) well that was my last thing i wanted to know because i didn't know that's so cool that's so interesting that's that's yeah that's definitely i mean history is still relevant it's what we've been telling y'all it's what we've been telling y'all Anyway, well, if you've made it through all the way to the end, we're really glad to have you. And we would love to talk to you on social media. Yep. Our Twitter is T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. Um, So you can reach out to us there. Uh, Kat's doing a great job running that. You say that, but I forgot um, it's okay. We're, it's okay. Uh, yeah. we, we, we're not perfect. It was, a, it was a weird week going It was a home. weird week. Uh, I was very stressed we were, and I am still yes. very stressed. I realized yeah. I had clenched my jaw the whole morning with my mask on and my stress from driving and I like yes. could not talk. Oh there. no. <laughs> it's fine. So it's been a weird week for us, but it's okay. Um, if we don't tweet, do know that we will still be posting yes. an episode. Um, so you can talk to us there on Twitter. You can also email us at this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we hope that you're going to have a great week um, yes. and we will talk to you next week on This Is Not a History Lecture. lecture. Bye. Bye.